Good morning, Mill City. It's so good to gather together. And um, if you're brand new with us, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, it is just wonderful to gather together, even a little on, a, on a little bit of a toasty morning. Um, before I jump in, um, I, I, I turned 50 in a few weeks. And uh, yeah. And and uh, so I've been reflecting a little bit on uh, this last decade, let alone uh, the few decades up to this, and and where I, who I am now. And I would, I can honestly say that um, a significant portion of who I am is a re- is in relationship to the people I have around me. And and my desire is to be a better father, to be a better husband, to be a better man, to be a better friend. And so we need, as men in specific, certainly as women in specific, uh, other men around us. Um, and so here in a few weeks, we have Brotherhood. Uh, it's August 26th. And uh, men, I want to encourage you to register. Uh, it's an evening uh, dinner. Um, one of the other things that I found helpful throughout my life is having people in my life older than me uh, that I can ask, like, what's it like? How did you navigate this? Because this is really hard right now. Uh, my kids are crazy, you know. I, I go crazy because they're crazy, you know, all that kind of thing or whatever. And so, uh, so we're going to have some time with some sages. We'll have time with one another. And I just can't encourage you enough as men to be a part of brotherhood. Um, this week is early registration, so make sure you get the early red price. Uh, women, help your husband or boyfriend or whoever uh, make it there, register them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's going to be a great, a great time together. So that's just in a few weeks. So when I was about five or six years old, um, I wanted to build an airplane. And so I, 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 I found some wood in the garage and then, um, and, and so my dad, I was like, Dad, I want to build an airplane. So, so uh, he, he, I found some wood and the nails, and he gave me one tool. He gave me a hammer. And so I made an airplane with all these scraps of wood that I found. And, and I can tell you, um, it looked like uh, two blocks of wood with lots of other things tacked onto it. It was not aerodynamic. It hardly looked like an airplane. Uh, but maybe that was because I just used one tool, just a hammer. There was no sanding paper involved, no sawing involved, no anything to somehow make it look more like an airplane. I, I looked for the picture. I couldn't find it. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. But that would have been a nice little compliment to this little illustration. Um, but sometimes I think in life, we become good at using one tool, and sometimes in faith, we get good at using just one tool. You know, maybe the response to any sort of difficulty is, well, just pray. We want to pray in all circumstances, no doubt. But sometimes if you go to try and fix your engine with a hammer, chances are you're not going to be able to fix it. and You might actually break something. So we get frustrated and disillusioned when the one tool we have that has worked for some things doesn't work. We're in a series on the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is a part of the Hebrew wisdom literature that we find in the Old Testament, which includes uh, Ecclesiastes, but includes Psalms and Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, this little section kind of right in the middle of the Bible. And 
And it's important, and, and, that, and one of the, the things that the wisdom, Hebrew wisdom literature writers are trying to say to us is if you just live life with one tool, you might get frustrated. But, so if you only live with Proverbs in mind, do this and this is what happens. If you're frustrated when, when you do this, this doesn't happen. So it's one of the reasons we read Ecclesiastes because it holds Proverbs in tension. And wisdom is about holding multiple perspectives and multiple tools together and knowing when to adopt each one. So the series on Ecclesiastes has one word in it 38 times, and it's the word that in some translations of the Bible is meaningless. For others, it might be vanity. But it means, it comes from this Hebrew word, havel. And the Hebrew word havel means smoke or vapor. Something that you cannot hold on to. Something that you cannot lean on. You can't hold it and it can't hold you. And so one of the points that the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to make is that any of the things that we try to grab a hold of that are like vapor, that are meaningless, that are, that are unable to hold us, have limits. There are limits to the things of this world. We've talked about pleasure and work and money, spirituality and wisdom. So we might be thinking that the teacher, we see a, a teacher throughout this book, is encouraging maybe living in a limited way, maybe a bit passive, or maybe a bit reckless, like who cares? Or maybe we read it and we get paralyzed. But the teacher actually is urging action. He's urging action. not reckless action, but not overly cautious action either. And so today we want to read a passage out of chapter, or we want to read chapter 11 and, and see what it looks like to live with those limits in mind. So we start in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 1, where he says, Ship your grain across the sea. Now, this, these next several verses, he's going to use the, a, a business ventures and investment, business investment metaphor. So to translate this into our day and age, it might be okay to, to invest in some international stocks. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Now that word may is important. He's saying risk might lead to reward. So he's saying don't let risk stop you. Actually non-risk is risk too. Verse 2, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. What's he saying? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify, right? And caution doesn't eliminate adversity. We don't know when disaster will strike. Verse 3, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. The teacher is saying there are forces beyond our control. There are things that, that happen that, 
that we don't know why they happen. We don't know when they're going to happen. There are some things you might know that when a cloud is full of water, it will rain. And there are other things like when disaster will strike or when a tree will fall that we do not know. And he continues in verse 4 by saying, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, if don't wait for the perfect conditions. Like if you're like, well, I don't know if I want to plant because I don't know if it's going to rain. Well, if it's going to rain. Oh, look, rain's coming. I better plant. Too late. Oh, I, I, the, this is happening, or that's how I don't want to. This might happen. I'm not going to. I want to avoid disaster. So, so we're waiting for the ideal conditions. And he's saying, doesn't work that way. He continues in verse 5 and he says, As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. God works in mysterious ways. God uses more than a hammer, more than one tool, works in more than just one way, more than three ways. More than the five ways we've known him to work. He works in hundreds of ways, thousands of ways, unknown, countless ways. Small ways, big ways, subtle ways. Which in many ways should be comforting to us. Should be comforting to us to know that there's more going on than what I can do and what you can do. That there is more to life than just our efforts, our talents, and our energies. And he ends this little passage by saying, Sow your seed in the morning. And at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. See, God is always at work. He works in mysterious ways. We may not know how he's working, but God is always at work. We just often won't see how until afterwards. Wow, they all did well. Well, all of my investments did well. Well, this one I thought was going to do well, didn't do well. We won't know till afterwards. So to sum up what he said so far, especially in terms of investments or his financial metaphor, make your investments, take risks, diversify if you can, and in the end, you ought to get a good return. Now that's good financial advice. It's good investment advice. And and it's important that we like manage and steward our finances well. If you need help with that, we've got a city group, we've got multiple city groups in the fall that talk about those things. It's important that we manage finances. You might be a bit risk averse. You might be, uh, uh, you know, kind of leaning on the edge of risky, and and all those things might be fine. It is one thing to play conservative with your financial investments. It is another thing to play it safe with our love and with our life. Because this metaphor that the teacher is using here in Ecclesiastes is not just about finances. It is about our lives. We only have one life. And he's asking the question, how will you spend it? He continues on in verse 7. He says, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of their darkness, of darkness, for there will be many. Everything is 
to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. He's talking about the, the, the energy, the, the, the freedom, the, 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 the dreams of the young. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Meaning, we live in a world that says, do whatever your heart says to do. This is saying, yeah, go for it, but keep in mind that what you do and how you do it matters. Verse 10, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. What's he saying? Go for it in your life. Life is short. Get the most out of it. I remember uh, this would have been in 1995. Jossie and I uh, were, had been married for, no, excuse me, this was 1999. Four years after Jossie and I had been married, we had uh, a summer off. We worked at a university at the time, and, and we had the summer off. We decided that we were going to travel Europe for the summer. And so we went, saved up some money, got, uh, I think we bought fl- uh, flights with airline points and all the things. And we were going to stay in hostels and ride trains and all that kind of thing. And we flew to Europe and, and we were, our first city was Venice. And I remember we were in Venice, we got off the train, and we needed to go to the ATM, and we went to the ATM, pulled out some, uh, some money, and I remember I had this stack of money and tucked into my, uh, my belt, and, and we were getting on this like water taxi, and, and I remember thinking, what am I doing? What are we doing? We are going to spend the next two months just spending money. That's it. And I'm a fairly conservative type of financial guy. So I was like, I think we're wasting our life. I think we're wasting our money. How is it that we should do this? I mean, it's just self-indulgence for two months. I happened to be at that time reading through the book of Ecclesiastes and came across chapter 9, verse 9, that says, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days, all these meaningless days. And I said, let's go to Venice, everybody. And there's some reality and some joy in all of that. I am so glad that we did that. It was a trip of a lifetime. It was so fun and so meaningful and brought about such strength in our relationship and so many other things. I went to a chiropractor at one point that had a sign in his office that said, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. (laughs) And some of you are like, yeah, but my back is sore. (laughs) He's saying, we have limits, but lived life to the full. In verse 6, in another translation, it says, At evening, withhold not your hand. Another way of saying, use what you have and do what you can. You might say, well, I just don't have much. I don't have much money. Do you have the ability to encourage someone? Do you have the ability to pray? Do you have some money? You have presence. You have the ability to offer friendship. You have the ability 
to offer talents and gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to each and every one of us. What do you have? In the New Testament, Jesus tells a story about or the parable of the talents. And he gives one talent to one guy, two to another, and five to another. And the guy with five doubles it, the guy with two doubles it, and the guy with one buries it in the ground. And when he gets back in the story, the one who gave him the one talent says, what did you do? And he says, I buried it in the ground. And he gets rebuked. He doesn't get rebuked for having one talent. He gets rebuked for not doing anything with what he did have. So what do you have? Sometimes we kind of take this all or nothing kind of perspective. Well, I just don't have very much. Well, I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do serve Saturday every week. Well, can you help your neighbor? I can't, I can't, I can't seem to fix this or that. Well, can you start? I, I can't tithe. Well, can you do 2%? Can you start? Well, I can't, I can't seem to create the time for a weekly city group. Can you do it once a month? I love the fact that it says that at evening withhold not your hand. I wonder sometimes if we might come home from work at the end of a long day and we're exhausted and the kids have energy and you're like, I just really want to go to take a nap, veg in front of the TV. But what do you have? You have some love to offer, some time to offer. Because there's another story in the New Testament about this big, huge crowd, four or 5,000 men, 15, 10, 15,000 people, including women and children. And all they had was five loaves and two fish. But Jesus fed them all with leftovers. So you never know what God will do with the bit we have, even if we think it's not much. Or we wait for the ideal conditions. Well, when I'm married then, when I have a job then, when I have money then, when I have kids, when the kids are out of the house, when I'm retired, and before you know it, it never happens because we never get to those ideal conditions. See, don't put life on hold until the conditions are ideal. To step into your calling, to step out in faith, to step into that dream, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, to go on a date. That's another conversation for another day, but. Or the fear of missing out, which is prevalent in our culture. What if something better comes along? You know, you want to come to the party on Thursday? Mm, maybe. What are you saying? Eh, yes, unless something better comes along. Unless I get the opportunity to, you know, you never know if I can get that Taylor Swift ticket. And you know what that does? It keep, FOMO keeps us from living in the presence. We're actually trying to make the most of it, but actually can keep us from living in the present. You know what? I don't know what's coming, but yes, I'll be at that party. You know what? I don't know how this is going to work out, but yes, I'll help you. 
See, because the teacher is saying, we don't know what will happen, so get on with something. Be wise, because God works with what we offer him. It might be small, or it might be flawed. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say, and we know that in all things that you do perfectly, in all things that you do with abundance, in all things that you do, everything, good, bad, and ugly, God redeems it all, uses it all. God doesn't waste anything. So the question for each of us today is, are you playing it safe and calculated? You know, the, the calculated way of living says, am I going to get the right return on this? That's, that's good to evaluate in the right circumstances. But if we live all of our lives, do we, should we live calculated in our love? Luke chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. That doesn't sound very calculated. Doesn't sound like good stewardship. Then your reward will be great. Whoa. Calculation is about I did this and I got that back. Actually, he says, you might live unguarded and you might actually get a great reward. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. What's Jesus' encouragement here? To live wholehearted. To live half-hearted is to hedge our bets. But He's encouraging us to live generous in following Jesus. There's a story about this guy who asked a monk. He says, I'm exhausted. What do I need to do? The monk said, the antidote to your exhaustion is not necessarily rest. It might be wholeheartedness. Because when we live half-hearted, oftentimes we're just living according to shoulds, duty, kind of living numb and sleepwalking through life. We can play it safe and Avoid risk and not live fully alive. The price of wholeheartedness in a transactional, half-hearted world is being misunderstood. To live like Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, to love your enemies, looks like Jesus being accused of being a drunk, a glutton, hanging out with the wrong people. So we can play it safe. We can avoid risk. We can avoid the risk of being misunderstood or missing out, being taken advantage of. But Jesus is asking us, the teacher is encouraging us here in Ecclesiastes to give God something to work with. And as followers of Jesus, that's what we are. We're wholehearted, generous people. 
Actually, can we just say that together? We are wholehearted, radically generous. Okay, hang on, hang on. Let's just do this in unison and let's do this wholeheartedly. All right, you ready? Together. One, two, three. We are wholehearted, radically generous people. That is who you are. That is who I am. That is our identity as followers of Jesus. And so our weekly practice this week is to identify an area of your life where you're playing it safe. And then tell a friend and make a change. The reason to share it with somebody is because once we share that, it's hard to it's hard to go back. You don't share anything, nobody knows if you did it or not. Nobody knows if you identify that as playing it safe. For some of you, maybe it is in the area of finances. For others of you, maybe it's in the area of following Jesus. For others of you, it's in, it's in the ways that you're engaging relationships, taking a risk, stepping out. Do you find yourself clenching or withholding, hedging, calculating? versus being generous and unguarded. Loving the people that won't love you back. But maybe you're finding yourself a bit numb because you're living a half-hearted life. Sometimes we put this weekly practice out and it's easy to forget it by this afternoon. So I want to create a little bit of space right now for us to open our heart ask God maybe in this moment maybe before we even pray you already know what it is but would you just create some space reflect and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal an area of your life where he would want you to step out and not play it safe give you about 30-40 seconds What if we were unguarded with our talents? What if we were unguarded with our treasures? What if we were unguarded with our love? Living with nothing to protect and nothing to prove. Not afraid of being misunderstood. Maybe that looks like jumping into relationship, to a city group, to brotherhood. See, God isn't calculating in His love. Jesus is the example of that which he's calling us to. Loving his enemies. Dying on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He didn't just die for his friends, he died for his enemies. And he opens his life in generous love. I wonder sometimes if we aren't offended at God's generosity. We think, hey, hey, that's not fair. 
But you know what? Do we want God to be generous or guarded with us? Calculating or radically generous? Of course, we want him to be radically generous. Maybe for you here today, the invitation from God is to step into that generous love. To receive the generous, overwhelming love of God. Maybe even thinking, I need to do this, and when I get my life right, or when I somehow make the right decisions, or when I this, or when I'm that, then I'll be ready to come back to church or come back to God. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. I've already just opened my life, given you my life, and respond in kind. Here it is. It's not about getting ready. You can't be ready. You can't clean yourself up. It is because of our need for God that we go to him and we say, Father, forgive me. Father, receive me. Father, pour out your love on me. I trust you. I need you. And so if that's you here today, ready to receive the uncalculated, generous love of the Father, can I encourage you to cross the line of faith today? Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. All of it. I want to be wholehearted, a wholehearted follower of you. Maybe for that's for the first time. Maybe it's the first time in a long time. Whatever the case might be, the Father runs to you and welcomes you home. Wherever you find yourself in your spiritual journey here today, I want to take a moment and pray for us all. If you would, open your hands as a symbol of surrender. Father, we, we need you. We want to live the life that you called us to. And for some of us, maybe we're paralyzed with fear. Fear of missing out or fear of doing the wrong thing. Fear of not having enough or not being enough. But God, today we, we say that you are enough. And you take everything, even our worst attempts and our best attempts, and you make something more out of them. And so, God, would you help us not to play it safe, but to be wholehearted, unguarded, especially with our life and our love, not just toward those to whom we have an affinity, but even towards our enemies, those who we have a hard time with, that have hurt us, Help us to seize opportunities. Step out in faith and live the life that you've called us to. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen.